0: Morning, church. How are you today? All right. Not too shabby, I suppose. Hey, we are in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. By the way, uh, if you're new with us and, uh, and, and you don't know this already, there are Bibles in the back of the seats in front of you, and you're welcome to grab one of those and turn. If you're looking for Hebrews, it can be a little tricky to find. It's toward the end. I actually cheated this morning, and I know it's on page 1001. So there you go. See how helpful I can be? when I want to be? Sometimes helpful. Uh, no, we're really glad that you're here. We're beginning and sort of embarking on a study that we'll be in for, for a little bit of time here in the book of Hebrews. And it's important that we have the Bible in front of us, that we hold on to it, that we study, because as we'll see in the text, what is most important and what is most vital are not the things that men say, not our opinions not our perceptions. The things that are most important are not uh, the views of mankind, but rather the things that are most important are the very words of God, the things that God has said. And so you want to have that in your hand and be able to, you know, we'll put it on the screens as well. I had the opportunity to, um, I was invited last night to go to watch the the Mayweather-McGregor fight. I don't know if you're boxing fans. I've been a boxing fan for a long time. And I got invited to go over to Dave and Kathy Leisure's house. So I had not been to their home before. I, I put it into my Google map. And then you know how it is when you, um, when you put it, you, you start the Google Map thing, and it says, you know, pull out of your driveway, and you're like, no, duh, whatever, so I pull out of my driveway, and then it says, turn left, and so I turn left, and I'm going, and, um, you know, I, I turn on some music, and I'm, I'm just following the directions that the Google Map computer lady gave to me, and she's very helpful, and, uh, I get closer to their house and it says, Turn left on Trailview. And so I turn on Trailview. And then it says, In 400 feet, turn left on Seminole Way. And so I turn on Seminole Way. And, it, and then it says, In a few minutes, turn left on Richfield. So I turn left on Richfield. And it goes, In 400 feet, turn left on Trailview. And so I turn left on Trailview. And then it says, Now turn left on Seminole Way. And so I turn on Seminole Way. And it says, In 400 feet, turn on Richfield. And so I turn on Richfield. And then it said, Now turn left on Trailview. And I'm like, Hold on. Something weird is happening I don't know the city very well yet But I don't think these directions are correct So I pull over And you know it makes a little blue line Literally, Google Map had just made a blue box And it was just sending me in a And I was just I don't know, I could have been stuck there forever, you guys If I had just zoned out I could have been driving forever And uh, it's funny how dependent we become on particular voices And how trusting we can be in particular voices. I turn on the Google map and I just assume she knows, and I'm following that, but if I'm not careful, I can kind of get stuck in a loop and not actually get to my destination. You know, we live in a world, and I'm sure you know this if you've watched the news at all or you've interacted with any other human beings, uh, which presumes something, I suppose. uh, We live in a world that's kind of become unmoored, from truth, And there are so many voices. And there are so many voices that are on opposite, absolute opposite ends of the spectrum who are all claiming that they have the truth. And there are all kinds of opinions, and there are all kinds of perceptions, and there's all kinds of people who are claiming their way is the right way. And it's possible for us, in listening to those voices, to feel and to start to, to, start to feel like we absolutely have no bearing. Like we've kind of gotten trapped on Trailview and Seminole and Richfield, and we just sort of keep repeating that pattern. In this world, it's easy to start to drift away from the actual facts and to drift away from actual truth. And nobody sort of gets up in the morning, right? I get that. Nobody gets up in the morning and goes, you know what I want to do today? I want my life to drift off course. You know, I just want to become completely unmoored from truth and fact and logic. I just kind of want to wander off and see where the day takes me. Like very few people, if any, make a determined choice to drift off course. What happens is that we drift off course Little by little by little, it happens in these tiny little increments. We listen to the wrong voices, or we start to trust a Google map without really paying attention to where it's taking us. We start to listen to the wrong things. We fix our eyes on the wrong point. And the author to the Hebrews, as we study this book together, the author to the Hebrews understands that there is a very real and present danger for each and every human being on the planet, that if we're not careful, that if we don't pay attention that if we don't focus on a real, true anchor, we will absolutely drift in our lives. In our spiritual lives, we will drift away from the facts. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter two, in Hebrews chapter two, verse one, one of many warnings in the book, Hebrews two, one says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. The author says, you gotta sit up straight. You can't just turn on the music and turn on the map and just sort of turn on autopilot, because if you do that, You'll drift away. In Hebrews chapter three, verse 12, it says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. He says, be careful, because if you just go on autopilot, if you just sort of go business as usual, what will happen is gradually over time, your heart will become hardened. Gradually over time, you'll drift off from essential truth. Gradually, you'll fade away from what's most important. There is a, a danger for all of us and we have to be alert, we have to be awake, we have to focus, that's why we chose to spend the next year in the book of Hebrews. We wanna go slow, and we're not even going as slow as we could, I know there was some criticism on I think somebody wrote on Facebook this week like, we're gonna be in Hebrews for a year? They wrote it faster than that, you know I'm like? <laughs> yeah, of course they did, but what, I, I get that we're gonna take some time. Listen, can I tell you what? We could realistically study the book of Hebrews for the next five years and not exhaust it. There is, it's a very densely compacted book, There are some things about the book that we don't know. So for instance, we don't know exactly who wrote it, right? And you can read all, in fact, you wanna get lost in a loop, go on the internet and Google the author of Hebrews. You get sucked immediately into a black hole of theology. It's terrible, right? There's all kinds of arguing about who the author is. Can I tell you this? You can speculate all you want. God didn't see fit to reveal to us the author. It's not recorded for us. And therefore, I'm not gonna waste any time sort of speculating. It doesn't really matter. Here's what I know. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. I don't know the name of the the human instrument that the Holy Spirit used, but that's not of consequence to me. We don't actually know who it was specifically written to. In fact, the title the Hebrews is one that was added later. It's not in the original text. They read the book and they went, well, it seems like it's probably written to a group of Jewish believers, but there are also some things in this book that lend itself to people that sort of claim to be believers but weren't. So that's just sort of a best guess. There are a lot of things about the book we don't know, but what we do know is there, there are two primary things the book does. The first one is it gives us warnings. There are multiple warnings we'll see in the midst of this study. Warnings against drifting away from what's essential, losing sight of what's most valuable, And not only are there warnings, because it would be kind of a drag if there were only warnings, not only are there warnings, there are absolute and concrete solutions to the problem of spiritual drift. Absolute and concrete solutions to the issue of spiritual drift by raising up and elevating and showing the truth of the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will see in almost every page of the book as we study it together that again and again the author will say, be careful, pay close attention, be sure, look at what you're doing and make sure that you keep your eyes on Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because if you don't, You'll wander off the path. I don't know if you've ever if you've ever experienced what it's like to be drifting. I was at Ocean Beach uh, a few years ago in San Diego with my family, and the lifeguard comes and blows the whistle and turns on the like public address system. And I'm always a little nervous when that happens because I've seen Jaws, right? I know how this goes down, and uh, so she's like telling everybody to get out of the water. And I don't know. I mean, you guys have been paying attention. Sharks right now are really mad at human beings, right? Have you noticed that they're they're like on kind of a they're on a crusade to eat. Is uh, maybe it's just. Maybe it's that a lot of our new swimwear l- makes us look like seals. That might be part of what it is, but whatever. So the lifeguard's blowing her whistle, and so we get out of the water, and she gets on the PA system, and she says, you need to understand there's what's called a rip current. There's a rip current right now, and it's very deadly, and it will grab you, and it will suck you out into the ocean, and so everybody needs to know there can be no swimming right now because of a rip current. And you don't have to tell me that kind of thing twice because here's the thing. I don't want to go out in the ocean by myself, right? that's not interesting to me. So she says, get out of the water. I got out of the water. And then as I'm getting out of the water, there's this guy, uh, this like older gentleman. And he's in one of those, um, little, let's not think about it. Let's not think about it. He's in like a, t- <laughs> it's not important to the story. It was distracting to me. I'll say that. So he's in a, he's in a, uh, a little kind of suit, And he looks at this lifeguard and he says, who are you to tell me what to do? He goes, I've been swimming on this beach since before you were born. I'm a great swimmer. I'm a taxpayer in this county, and this is a public beach, and I can swim here anytime I want. And the lifeguard, she's like a college student. She's like, well, I'm just trying to help you. And in my head, I'm thinking, she's going, I'm the one who's gonna have to rescue you in a minute. Loser, right? You know, and he's like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm not gonna drift. I'm not gonna get pulled out to sea. I know how to do this thing, and you can't boss me around. And finally, she just kind of, she just let him do what he was gonna do, and then I never saw him again. I have no, he might still be out. <laughs> I have no, he might still be floating out there somewhere. I have no idea how that story, I had a lady after the first service, I was like, you have to tell us how the story ends. And I'm like, I don't know how it ended, but what I know is there was a guy who was so confident in his own ability that he didn't heed the warning. And there is a risk for each and every one of us when we come to the book of Hebrews to hear the author saying, be careful, be on guard. Sit up straighter. pay closer attention lest you drift away from essential truth. There's a temptation for us to go, I'm not gonna drift. I'm not one of those people who wanders off the path. I'm not one of those people who professes faith or who you know, just goes through the motions and then at some point abandons the truth. I'm not somebody who's led astray by all the voices of you know, various and different people. No, 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 I, I know what I'm doing. Let, let none of us be so ignorant as to ignore the warnings in this book. It will both warn us again and again. There is a great thing about this book, whoever the Holy Spirit used to write it, there's sort of a cyclical, a, sort of a, a Jewish way it's written. It's written as both a, a sermon, like an oratory sermon, and also a letter. We see both of those represented. It's a beautiful book, tightly compacted, and we're going to go through it, not, not as slow as we could, but we're going to go through it so that we can understand both the warnings and the ways in which it anchors us in the truth of who Jesus is. It says in Hebrews chapter six, for instance, in Hebrews six seventeen, it says, so when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We've entitled this sermon series, Hebrews, Modern Faith Anchored in Ancient Truth. Modern faith anchored in ancient truth. The way in which we pursue faith today, the way in which we live in obedience to Christ is anchored in the ancient truth of what the story God has been telling, the way in which God has worked, the ancient truth of who Christ is. And the author wastes no time in getting to the heart of it. In fact, we're just going to look at the first three verses this morning. And in the first three verses, he packs in this incredible Christology, or a focus on Jesus. This incredible, although very rapid, summary of this anchor for our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just look at it together. Hebrews chapter 1. He starts by saying this in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. I just want to stop there for a second and think about this. There is something profound and beautiful stated right out of the gate that in the past, in the past, God has spoken. Just stop for a second and think about that. Think about the fact that God has spoken in the past in various and sundry ways he's spoken through the prophets to our father that to our fathers that in and of itself is a profound truth because what that tells us is that god didn't just set the earth spinning he didn't just put people on it and go hey make your best guess about who i am we live in a world where there are thousands upon thousands of people writing books to help you discover god to help you try and figure out the mystery of who God is. And there are as many theories as there are people for who God is, can I tell you something? God didn't say, hey, I'm out here, see if you can figure me out. God spoke to reveal himself. It's an act of his love and generosity and kindness That he spoke to our fathers In various and sundry ways through the prophets That he revealed himself There are all kinds of people out there who will say Come with me on this journey of discovery About the eternal Or come with me on, can, I, can I tell you this morning I'm not interested in taking my best guess At who God is And I'm to be honest with you I'm not super interested in hearing your best guess About who God is Because you're like me We're just regular people What I'm interested in is the God of the universe speaking to his creation and saying, this is who I am. Now that I'll pay attention to. That matters. And that doesn't mean, you know, there aren't some people who've got some interesting guesses. But what it means is that God loved us enough to speak. That God speaks both through the prophets and then for us recorded in the scriptures. It reminds us there's something distinctly different about paying attention to God's word, to God's voice, then paying attention to the other voices. You know, sometimes, sometimes, again, we give the voices of our peers, or the voices of our culture, or the voices on the news, or the voices in the books we read, or whatever. We give those voices this sort of imminent position in our lives. And there is one voice that should have an imminent position and one only, and that is the voice of God. He is our creator. In the past, God spoke in various ways, through the prophets to our forefathers. That's awesome. But it gets even cooler. Check this out. There's a contrast here. Also, in the book of Hebrews, we will see a lot of contrasting. Contrasting between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which is particularly relevant because we've been studying uh, Exodus together in the last many months. But it's also interesting that he'll contrast and sort of juxtapose different ideas, showing the lesser and the greater. And here he does that. In the very first two verses, he says, in the past, God spoke through the prophets to our fathers in a bunch of different ways. Sometimes he spoke through, you know, an audible voice. Sometimes he did it through fire falling from heaven. Sometimes it was a donkey who started to talk, right? God spoke in various and sundry ways. But now, he says, and there's a juxtaposition there, now, in these last days, back to Hebrews chapter one, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Or that could be translated a son. He has spoken to us by a son. So in the past, there were all kinds of different ways. All kinds of different methods and all kinds of different voices. The contrast is meant to give us the sense that in the past God spoke, but it was fragmentary, right? It was preparatory, God was preparing the way. And you could piece together these fragments, but it was difficult to see the whole picture. All of the ways that God spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament and in the past, the way he spoke to our fathers, all of them were revealing truth, but they were doing it in part and in parcel. But what God has done now is he's revealed something whole and something complete and something total. He used to speak through many prophets. Now, juxtaposed, he has spoken to us through one son, He used to speak in many ways and now he has spoken one message. The picture that it's trying to equate for us or the thing that the author wants us to understand is that in the midst of this temptation to drift, in the midst of all of these varying voices vying for our time, God has spoken in a clear and concise way and it is the clearest, most beautiful thing that God will ever say. Think about this for a second. It says in John 1, speaking of Jesus, in John 1 it says, in the beginning was the word, And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You jump down to John John 1, 14, and it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's talking about the incarnation. Jesus is the very Word of God, the clearest, most concise, most articulate, most loving thing that God will ever say and has ever said. He says, In the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is utmost clarity. God's, you know, I mean, we have kind of this idiom in our world today where we talk about dropping the mic. You guys know what that is, right? Like, uh, I, I, this Mayweather fight was pretty cool, but they all kind of do this thing, right? Where, where like, um, you know, Mayweather will get up and he'll go, I'm going to drop this guy in the first four rounds. I'm the toughest that's ever lived. Nobody can beat me. I'm going to be 50 and all. And he'll make all these, you know, braggy statements. And then what happens at the end of it, he holds the mic out like this and he drops it and it falls and clatters on the ground. You've heard that idea, right? Dropping the mic. And what's that indicate? The indication when somebody drops the mic, whether it's a musician or an athlete or whoever, when they hold up the mic and they drop it and they walk off stage, the indication is, that's it. I got nothing else to say on the matter. Listen, what the author of the Hebrews is saying to us here is that in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, God drops the mic. In the past, God spoke to us through various and sundry ways, through the prophets, to our forefathers, but now, in finality, he's juxtaposing fragmented, preparatory speech in different pieces, through different methods, he's, he's juxtaposing it with a perfect, clear, and concise message. You get these people who are like, I'm waiting for a word from God, right? Do you have a word from the Lord for me, right? do you have a word from God? we got to find a word. And they're looking up in the cloud formations, or they're trying to see the letters sort of spelled out in the alphabet, serial, or whatever. Can I tell you that, that God has already spoken? There are people who are waiting for God to speak, and he's already said everything he has to say in the person of Christ. In the past, God spoke through various and sundry ways, but now he has spoken to us through his son, through a son The idea there is that Jesus is the final word, that God drops the mic with Jesus. He is a whole message, a complete message, a direct message. It's not coming through another person. We see God come in the incarnation in Christ, a direct message, not passed through other people, but passed directly to us as human beings through Christ. A perfect and completed, a final message from God. God's final word is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, we should elevate it. You think, well, that that seems like it's probably important. Yeah, yeah, it is the most important thing God has ever said. The word, Jesus Christ, the son. I love the fact that it says in, um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That's Jesus. All the things that God has promised are fulfilled in Christ. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Jesus is the final thing God says to his people. It's the clearest, most concise, most loving thing. And so the question then comes to us, well, who is this son then? Tell us about this son, right? If if this is the clearest thing God will ever say, then what is he saying in Christ? And so the author goes on to articulate this beautiful, he gives us basically seven descriptors of who Jesus is. Let's look at it together. Hebrews chapter 1. Look at what it says in, in verse two. In these last days he's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things. Firstly, it tells us that Jesus is the heir of all things. It's not surprising that Jesus will say in John 16, everything that the Father has is mine. Everything that the Father has is mine. Jesus will say in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is the heir of all things. He's the one who owns it all. You know. Almost all of the division, all of the things that separate men and women in our world today and in our church today, all of the things that divide us are representation of places where we're trying to hold on to what we think we own or what we think we deserve. Things we've fought to accomplish or things we've accomplished to obtain for ourselves, and we don't want to lose those things and so we hold on to them, right? We see all this fighting in the world. People trying to hold on to their opinions. People trying to hold on to their property, hold on to their stuff. Can I tell you? Jesus owns it all. He's the heir of all things. There's a reference here to a a messianic psalm. Keep your finger in Hebrews chapter 1 and flip back with me, if you will, to Psalms chapter 2. There's a messianic psalm that talks about the Son or the Messiah being the heir of all things, that all things belong to him. Psalm 2 verse 7 says this, I will tell of the decree The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. It's reference to the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who was foretold. He is the clearest thing God will ever say, and he is the heir of all things. He owns it all. We spend so much time worrying about how to get more or how to hold on to what we've got. But when you find rest and peace in the truth that Jesus is the heir of all things, you can turn loose of your selfish inclination to try and cling to things because Jesus is not only the heir of all things, but it says in Romans that for those of us who are followers of Christ, we will be heirs with him. Why do I have to cling so closely to the things that belong to me? I can turn them loose because Jesus owns it all. Not only is he the heir of all things, look at what else it says in Hebrews chapter 1. He's the heir of all things and the creator of all things. Also in verse 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. You know, there is a sense sometimes when people talk about Jesus in culture today where they go, no, 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 look, I'm not denying that Jesus is a good guy. He is a good guy, right? He did some great things. He loved some people. He gave some great speeches. He had an excellent beard, you know? We don't want to deny any of those things. But we just want to say he wasn't really any more than that. He was just a good guy. He was just a prophet. He was just a man who loved people and cared and then got murdered. Can I tell you, the Bible says that isn't true. The Bible says that he's more than just a prophet, that he's more than just a good guy who cared about people and died before his time, that he falls into a different category than Abraham Lincoln, for instance, that he's God, as is demonstrated by the fact that he is both the heir of all things and the creator of all things. You see, Jesus Jesus isn't a guy who was just born and came into existence and will live eternally like us. All of us in the room, we're all eternal beings. We will all last forever. We will all live forever, either in the presence of God or separated from God. Jesus isn't just eternal. Jesus is infinite, which means he has no beginning and he has no end. He was part of creation. He was the creative force in creation. It says in Colossians chapter 1, Colossians 1 15 says of Jesus he's the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him he's the heir of all things this son the greatest message God has ever sent the anchor for our soul he's the heir of all things and the creator of all things well what difference does that make in our life? Well, I'll tell you what, when my MacBook breaks, when my MacBook breaks, I'm not going to just take it to my next door neighbor and ask him what I should do, right? When my MacBook breaks, where do I want to take that? I want to take it to the one who designed it. I want to take it to the one who, who, who built the operating system, who glued the pieces together. No one knows how that thing is intended to be working and intended to function better than the one who created it. Do you recognize in the world around you and maybe even in your own life a sense of brokenness? Do you recognize that there's brokenness all around you? How interesting is it that in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of humanity's brokenness, so often we're turning to each other to go, how do I fix this? And the bottom line is the person sitting next to you doesn't know any better how to fix it than you do because they are in the same boat you're in. Who knows how to repair the brokenness in the world? Who knows how to fix the selfishness and the greed and the pride and the hatred and the bigotry? Who knows how to fix it? the one who created us. He's the creator of all things. He's the heir of all things. He owns it all. He built it all. Look at what else the author of the Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter one. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is, that's Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God. The radiance of the glory of God. It's a physical and active extension of God's glory. A physical and active extension of God's glory. You know, we say that the moon reflects the sun's light, but the sun itself radiates light and heat. Radiate is different. He isn't just a reflection of God. Jesus isn't just a reflection of God's glory, He is the radiance of God's glory. It's active, it's an active thing He does. He moves in our lives. I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter four. 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse six says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. You wanna know, I mean, we talk a lot in this church about glorifying God. That is our purpose. We are built to glorify God. And no one radiates the glory of God like Jesus does. You want to know how to, how to glorify God in your thoughts and words and deeds and attitudes? Look at the way Jesus radiates his glory. He's the physical manifestation of God's glory. Not only that, it says he is the exact imprint of God's nature. Hebrews chapter one verse three. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. There are all kinds of people in the world that go. Well, we're trying to figure out what God is like. Let's take our best guess. Let's pool our thoughts and our information. Let's figure this thing out. We're gonna we're gonna figure God out. Even Jesus's disciples, right? I think it's in John four, John fourteen. Sorry, in John fourteen, his disciples look at Jesus and they go, "When are you gonna show us the Father?" And in John 14, 9, Jesus says, "Uh, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The author to the Hebrews says, he's the radiance of God's glory in the exact imprint. The idea is of of an image that's stamped onto a coin. The exact representation. Are you here this morning and you have questions about what God is like? You wanna know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Jesus. The air, the creator, the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature. And not only that, look at what else it says. Hebrews chapter one, verse three. The radiance of God's glory. The exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now listen, the idea here, it's demonstrating something about the power of God, but it isn't the picture, you know, we sort of get this idea sometimes of like Atlas with the globe on his back, you know, and he's holding the weight of the world. And we're like, oh yeah, Jesus is upholding the weight of the world by his power. It's not a picture like that. It's not that he's just sort of holding it in a static way. The idea here is of sustaining on a trajectory that Jesus doesn't just hold the world or uphold it, but that he carries it to its intended purpose, that he carries it on a path to be fulfilled, that he is the one who sustains it all. I find peace in this because there are a lot of times when I sit on the couch in my house and I look at the world and I think, what is going to happen here? What's happening in this world? Why, why does everybody seem to be fighting? Is, it, are we, is this the end of the world here? Hurricanes, hatred, hatred, I find peace in knowing that Jesus isn't just holding the world on his back, but he's carrying the world. By the word of his power, he's carrying it to its intended destination. That he carries us on a course that will result in the redemption of all things. That he will reconcile all things to himself. It says that in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, we already looked at it, but it says in verse 17, He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross the lord jesus is sustaining the world on its intended course which is that all things would be reconciled and that god would be glorified through him he's the heir. he's the creator he's the radiance of god's glory he's the exact imprint of his nature and he's the sustainer of all things by his word of power not only that there's two more in the time we have left look at it back to hebrews chapter one it says after making purification for sins He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Not only is is he the heir, not only is he the creator and the radiance of God's glory, the exact imprint of his nature, not only is he carrying the world to its intended end. But Jesus made purification for sins. Don't be confused about the language here. It's very specific, what he made purification for sins. It doesn't say we, it doesn't say he recruited a bunch of people to work with him about the purification of sins. This is a completed work that Jesus does himself. And it's not something he's doing in an ongoing way. He made purification for sins and that is final. It is a done thing, it's something he did in the past and it does not have to be repeated. Jesus made purification for sins. All of us were separated from God, lost in our sin, because we were created with a purpose, which is to glorify him. Created for relationship, to know him and to love him. And yet the Bible says that we've fallen short of his glory, that we failed to honor him in our thoughts, and deeds, and attitudes, and our words. And that sin, that failure, separated us from him. But God says... That in Christ, purification for sins has been made. It's interesting. We'll see as we study Hebrews together, it'll tell us later that the Old Testament sacrificial system was something that had to be repeated again and again, because it wasn't complete. And the, the old priests, they wouldn't ever sit down because they knew they were just going to have to make another sacrifice, because it was never finished. Here he says, Jesus is not just the heir and creator, the radiance and exact imprint. He's not just the sustainer of all things by his word of power, but he made purification for sins. And when he was done, he sat down, essentially saying, well, I'm glad that's finished. Can I tell you this morning, Jesus, Jesus is finished with the, with the work he needed to do in order to make purification for sins for you and I. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father, which is, which is a reference to the fact that not only is he finished, not only is that work completed, but he's enthroned. He's exalted. He is the king of the universe. He is the one who holds it all together and he is worthy of our worship. We chose this series, Hebrews, because we want to talk about the supremacy of Christ as an anchor for our souls. We want to focus on who Jesus is so that we do not drift. By the time we get to Hebrews chapter 2 when he says, therefore, pay close attention so that you don't drift. What's he saying pay close attention to? Pay close attention to the greatest thing God ever said which is Jesus. Jesus. Don't look away. Don't get distracted. Look at the sustainer and creator, the heir of all things, the exact imprint of his nature, the radiance of God's glory. Fix your eyes on Christ because he is the anchor for our souls. You know, it's interesting. Um, an orchestra, if you've gone to see a symphony orchestra play, when you get there, they're doing that kind of warm-up thing, right? You've all heard that warm Everybody go in their own direction, right? And then what happens? At some point before the concert starts, the concert master comes out. That's not the conductor, the concert master. It's usually the first chair violin. The concert master comes out and all she basically does is stand there, but it's an indicator. And then what happens? The oboist plays an A. I looked it up this week. The oboe, they chose the oboe because the oboe is the one that's the the least affected by humidity and outside pressure, right? The oboe plays an A and then what happens? The entire orchestra tunes to the A. The entire orchestra tunes to the A and you can hear it. I'm not doing it well, but you get what I'm saying, right? (laughs) They all tune to that same note. And listen, if they didn't all tune to that same note, the music would be unrecognizable. It would be hideous to listen to. You wouldn't know what was going on. If all the members of the orchestra didn't fix on that central note, the A, None of the rest would make sense. Can I tell you the reason why the church of the Lord Jesus Christ makes so little sense to the people in the world? Because we're all tuned to all different things. We're all tuned to our preferences and our own taste. We come to this place because there are things we want or itches we'd like to have scratched. And the author of the Hebrews says, be very careful, pay closer attention. Fix your eyes on Jesus so that you don't drift because if you're not alert and aware, you're going to be stuck in this loop on trail way, you know? And then you're gonna just keep circling back to Richfield. You're just gonna get trapped because you've listened to the wrong voice. But can I tell you this this morning, church? When you and I tune our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, the music that can be produced will change the world. But until we tune our lives to Jesus, we're just making racket. We're just making racket. And the world looks at us and goes, what? Why? Why would I come to church? Why would I want to be there? Why, why, why would I want to be, have anything to do with that? Because the, the music that's being produced is not focused. It's not tuned to the same note. The author of the Hebrews, as he begins this warning and this reminder about the supremacy of Jesus, says, let's all tune our instruments to Christ so that the music we make makes sense and doesn't drift off key.